Uh, Jason's sermon last week, he said a few things that really stuck with me. If you remember, it was about fear of God versus fear of man. He said a couple of things. He, he asked the question, he says, do our people really love Jesus? He said, if you took all the stuff away, if there was nothing to gain socially, if there wasn't community to gain, if you were being put out, would you stick with Jesus? And he talked about a man being nailed to a bloody Roman cross 2,000 years ago. And he asked the question, is this your life? And today I, we're, we're going to hear a, a, a similar type things. In many ways, I think this is kind of a continuation of Jason's sermon from last week talking about the fear of God and the fear of man. And I think Jesus is saying something similar in this text when he says the words, follow me. And so my question to all of us today is, are you following Jesus? I, I, think, we've, I think we've created this form of Christianity where you can be a Christian and yet not follow Jesus. And I think this is very unbiblical. This is not from the words of Jesus himself. So we're going to look at Matthew 16, verses 21 to 27, and see what it means to follow Jesus today. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. It's a very serious passage. This is talking about our life, like the entirety of our life. Jesus is saying that we have an opportunity to, to either find our life on the one hand, or we have an opportunity to lose our life and to forfeit our souls. In verse 27, if you look at the end of the, the passage that I just read, it's talking about how we're going to stand before God and have to give an account for our life. It says that he will repay each person according to what he has done. Very similar to a verse that Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul says to that church, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is a very impactful verse in my life. The Lord used it in a strong way when I was in college, and it literally changed the course of my life. I was in business school. I was going in, getting a business degree and thought that was the way that I was going. And the Lord used this through a guy who preached on this text and it literally changed the course of my life. And I ended up going overseas that summer rather than seeking a business intern. And that led to many years that, we, that uh, my wife and I and our family spent overseas. But one day we're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to have to give an account of the life that God has given us. 
How often do we think about this? And how often do we consider whether we are being good stewards of the life that God has given us? Don't we want our lives to count for eternity? Don't we want to live God-honoring lives? Don't we want to stand before Jesus someday and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant? I want to hear those words. And I would hope that all of you come in a spirit today that you would want to hear those words. The two passages that we read earlier, verses 21 to 23 and then 24 to 27, that they, at first glance, they might seem like they're a little unrelated. Verses 21 to 23 is talking, it's kind of this famous passage about Jesus saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And then verses 24 to 27 is also a very well-known passage that's talking, uh, Jesus says, if anyone come after me, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So they're kind of, they, at first glance, it's like, how do these two uh, relate? And so what I want us to see today is, number one, we're going to see that these two passages very much relate to each other. And then we're going to dive into verse 24 and then verse 25. And kind of my three points of the sermon will follow that roughly. Then we're going to look at how these passages relate. And then verse 24 about deny yourself and take up your cross. And then verse 25 that's talking about whether we find our life or we lose our life. So the first thing is talking about uh, in verse 21, we see here that Jesus comes to his disciples and he's talking to them about how he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed. This, the, the Christ, the Messiah is going gonna, is gonna to go do this. You know, we take the cross for granted. We have scripture. We know the story that Jesus went to the cross and he died. If you grew up in church, you've heard about it all your life. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard about the cross of Jesus. And so we're familiar with the story. We take it for granted. But Peter and his disciples that are listening to him, this would not have made sense to them. Let's back up real quick in verse, in verse 13. Look at verse 13. And this is a, a, a little more on the, inner, uh, the exchange between Jesus and Peter. In verse 13, he says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some say that he's John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Look at what Peter says. He says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. So um, <clears throat> effectively what Jesus is saying is he's coming to this and he's coming before Peter and he said, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus responds and says, yes, that is the correct answer. That's exactly right. See, I think, we get, I think we get confused sometimes when we hear this word Christ. Christ is not a surname. It's not a last name for Jesus. It's not as if Mary Christ gave birth to Jesus Christ, and that's his last name. No, Christ has a very specific meaning. Christ is a Greek translation for the word Messiah, for the word Messiah. Now, this is pointing to this very 
long-awaited prophecies, these long-standing prophecies that had, that had happened about who this Christ, who this Messiah is going to be when he comes. And so in Jesus' day, when Jesus comes on the scene and is born and starts his ministry and everything, there's all these theories about who this Christ, who this Messiah is going to be. And there's a, there's a lot in the Old Testament that these Israelites, they would go back and they would read these passages in the Old Testament. And it was kind of like trying to put together pieces of the puzzle to figure out who this Christ, who this Messiah is going to be. They knew that he was going to be a son of David. Who was David? Israel's greatest king. So they thought he was going to be this royal kingly figure that was going to come in the line of David. He's going to be a son of David. He was going to come and he was going to crush the enemies of God. And then he was going to restore Israel's kingdom. And so Israel was going to once again be free from their enemies. And at that time, their enemies happened to be the nation of Rome that was ruling over them. And so they had these ideas about who the Christ, who the Messiah was going to be. He was going to come and he was going to, he was going to free the people of Israel. And they were going to have this amazing kingdom. And that was why when Jesus talks to Peter in verse 21... It was so hard for Peter to understand. It was so hard for Peter to stomach. Look at what he says. Jesus comes and he says, I got to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the Jewish leaders and then be killed by them. And it makes sense of Jesus' response in verse 22 where Jesus takes, uh, sorry, Peter takes Jesus aside and he starts to rebuke Jesus. And he says, far be it from you, Lord. This is, this is not the way. This is not how it's going to happen. And Jesus gives this very harsh response to Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. Literally, the word there is stumbling block. You are a stumbling block. You think in your mind you know how this is all going to play out. You have your plan in your mind of, of, of what I'm going to do as the Christ, as the Messiah. And I'm telling you, it's going to look very, very different. So God's plan is going to look very different. And you're telling me that it's not going to happen this way. You are a hindrance. You're a stumbling block to me. Because if I, Jesus, do not go to the cross and die, the curse of sin is not dealt with. And only Satan himself would encourage and, and welcome a plan like this. So he's saying, Peter, get behind me. Don't be a hindrance. Don't be a stumbling block to me. So we've got to hold this in mind, this context in mind, when we come to the next verses, which is what we want to focus on today, which is verses 24 and 25. So kind of hold that in your mind as we go to verse 24. In verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And follow me. So Jesus is saying that not only am I going to have to, to walk the way of the cross, the way of suffering and rejection and sacrifice, but he's saying that anyone who wants to follow me is going to have to walk the way, of cross, uh, the way of the cross, is going to have to walk the way of suffering and rejection and sacrifice. 
this phrase in there that, that Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, this phrase, come after me, it's actually the, the, the same Greek word for when Jesus says, follow me. And so it was probably translated this way so that it doesn't sound redundant. It sounds a little better to us. Uh, but he says, he's essentially saying, if anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross. Uh, sorry, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So he's saying, follow me twice in this passage. It, it, it is, in fact, redundant what Jesus is saying. And so I, I think what it does is it highlights those two phrases that are in between the follow me's, which is deny yourself and take up your cross. So let's look a little bit at what these phrases mean. What does it mean to deny yourself? I would say that to deny yourself is essentially to give up your self-will. To give up the plans and the will that you have for your life. It's a realization that life is not all about you. Our lives were created for a greater purpose. Our lives were created to reflect God, and to honor God, and to glorify God, and not to promote ourselves. I, I think the word surrender is, is a word that captures this best, that Jesus is inviting his disciples to surrender their plans and the wills for their lives. This would have been really tough for the disciples to hear. We can see that Peter was finding this very hard to wrap his mind around this way of the cross and what Jesus was calling them to. So they would have found, they would have found it very hard, very hard to understand. They had a lot of ideas about what this Christ's, this Messiah's kingdom was going to look like. And it wasn't this. You remember uh, Peter, right before the Passover meal, Jesus is about to, about to go to the garden, and then he goes on trial, and then he's uh, crucified. And th they, they sit down, and Jesus has this Passover meal with them. And Jesus says to all of them, he says, he, he says that all of them, he predicts that all of them are going to fall away. And what does Peter say? Peter, again, he pipes up. He says, though they all fall away from you, I will never fall away. Just gives that bold statement. And we know the story, right? Peter goes on. What does he do? He gets into this self-preservation mode. And when the heat gets turned up a little bit, he retreats and he starts thinking about himself. And so he doesn't deny himself like Jesus is teaching. He ends up denying Jesus by what he's doing. And I think we can relate to that. Jesus is asking us to deny ourselves, to surrender ourselves, to surrender our plans, to surrender the things that we think our life should be about. And then Jesus also says not only to deny yourself and to surrender your, your plan and your will for your life, but he says to take up your cross. I, I think it's basically two sides to the same coin, to deny yourself and to take up your cross. What is taking up your cross? Taking up your cross is embracing the will and the plan that God has. So our lives become about the purposes of God. Your life becomes about God's purposes. It becomes about God's kingdom and the advance of his kingdom. And it's not, a, it's not about you and it's not about us. So for Jesus, this meant taking up a literal cross. He was going to suffer and be rejected and, 
and sacrifice his life for his followers, for all of us who claim to follow Jesus. He's saying that we also need to embrace the way of the cross. Take up our cross. We embrace God's plan. We embrace God's will for our life. We need to be prepared to suffer. We need to be prepared to be rejected. We need to be prepared to sacrifice our lives. I think this is exactly what Paul was talking about in Galatians 2.20, a verse that has meant so much in my life. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. My plans, what I thought my life was going to be, I nailed it to the cross. That's what Paul's saying. I nailed it to the cross. It's no longer I who live, but now it's Christ that lives in me. So the life I live now, I live for him. Essentially, you and I, when we come to Jesus and we start following Jesus, we become an empty shell that Jesus is to fill up. So all the, all the big decisions in our life, everything that we need to decide in our life, going back to Jason, the decision grid, all of those decisions, we surrender those to Jesus. And we say, you fill me up, and I'm going to hold my life loosely before you, and you use me how you would. My wife and I, we talk about that often, that, that we hold our lives loosely before the Lord. Open our hands, because what I see is that there's so many people, so many Christians so many people that say that they're, they're following Jesus, yet they hold so tightly to certain things. I think what Jesus is saying is, deny yourself. Open up your hands before the Lord. Hold your hands out before the Lord. Allow him to use your life the way that he will. And when you do this, your identity would be changed. Your values will change. Your values become more in line with God's values. You start to treasure on earth the things that God treasures on this earth. You have a desire to get in and, and to dig into the word and to, and to see how this is a, a living and an active word. You start to pray to the Lord and you, you come to him more often and you want to talk to the Lord. You also just want to sit at the Lord's feet and hear from the Lord. So these things start to happen and, and, it, and it changes us. We come and we love to worship God. I think the problem is that we have a really hard time surrendering our ideas about what our lives can and what we think maybe should look like. You know, we're all products of the world that we live in. We, we, we are surrounded by the world's logic and the world's ways of thinking. Uh, Western culture, and I would say American culture in particular, doesn't teach anyone to deny ourselves. Actually, it's the exact opposite. We hear messages like, make something of yourself. You be you. Take matters into your own hands. This is, this is the air that we breathe in our culture. We've got the American dream that's held out there in front of all of us. 
If you just dream big enough dreams and put a little hard work behind it, you can achieve anything you want. And we hear this message, and it seems to be totally anti-Jesus and what he tells us here in this, in this passage. Then you've got postmodernism, which is so prevalent in our day-to-day, and postmodernism, I think, takes it a step further. It's so bold to tell us that not only can you achieve anything, you can actually create your own reality. You just create your own world, and you can live in that world. And we create these worlds that are all pointed to what? They're pointed to self. And it all becomes about self. And Jesus is saying that the way to life is the exact opposite. We surrender our will. We surrender our plans. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross. We embrace the will of God. We embrace God's plan for our lives. And through that, we will find life. I want to give you a a couple of examples of how uh, we see this played out. One is through... uh, something that we got to be a part of when we lived in, in Thailand, right before we moved back to the U.S. We lived in Thailand for a couple of years, and um, there was a, a place called Connie's Home. My, my daughter Zoe is sitting right over here, and she used to go uh, volunteer there as well with her mom. And our whole family would go, and we would, we would uh, hang out with these kids. Connie and Richard, Americans, they went over to Thailand to... Uh, to do logistics for missionaries. So they would take care of missionaries' houses and cars. And while they were over there in Thailand, they noticed that there's a great need for a children's home that for all these kids who would be otherwise abandoned. And so they had started to take kids into their home. And then, and then eventually what came out of it was Connie's home. And now they have about 25 kids that are at the home right now. And they've, have over, they've had over 100 kids that have come through this home and have been adopted or they've, or they've grown up. And it's Connie and Richard, they're in their 50s now. And they've just, they, they totally sacrificed the American dream. They totally sacrificed this idea that, that their lives are going to be accumulating what they can in order to get to that final point where they retire and get to have a bunch of fun. No, they're sacrificing their lives to save these little kids and to grow up these Thai kids in the admonition of the Lord. It's amazing. Another example is a guy named William Borden. He's a little bit more old school. He was born in 1887. And he was the heir to his family's fortune. His, his family had made a fortune in, in, a, in a certain part of business, and, uh, and he was the heir. He uh, attended Yale University in 1905, and he goes there. And while he, was, while he was there, he writes in his journal, he says, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. He starts a movement of Bible studies among freshmen there at Yale University. And so he's got hundreds of, of Yale freshmen that are, that are studying the Bible who were not beforehand. He also starts the Yale Hope Mission for homeless people that are there. And while he's there, he feels called to be a missionary to a Muslim people that are in China. We don't oftentimes think of China and Muslims, but in the west of China, there's actually a lot of, a lot of Muslims. And so he feels called to go to this people, the Kanzu people of China, to go reach these Muslims with the gospel. And he figures if he's going to go 
if he's going to go reach Muslims, he needs to go learn Arabic first. So on his way to China, he sails to Egypt to learn Arabic. And he goes to Egypt and he starts to study Arabic. And one month after he arrives in Egypt, he contracts spinal meningitis and he dies. And they find written in the back of his Bible these words, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. I think he's one that had denied himself. He had taken up his cross. He'd sacrificed his family's fortune. Other people would have said, you are absolutely crazy. Why don't you stay in the States, take your family's fortune. You can give so much to missions. You can do so much for the kingdom. But he had held his life out before the Lord, and the Lord said, go to China. On his way to China, he stops by Egypt. One month after he's there, he dies. And I have a feeling William Borden will stand before Jesus, and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't know what the Lord has for your life. I don't know what the Lord has for all of us. But I know that we can live like William Borden. We can, we can stand before him with open hands and say, Lord, use my life however you will. Guys like William Borden, Richard, and Connie, they learned to deny themselves, to take up their cross, to lose their life for Jesus' sake. This is the last thing we want to look at is uh, this idea in verse 25 of losing our life or finding our life. Jesus says in, in Matthew 16, verse 25 that we read earlier, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So when you deny yourself, when you take up your cross, when you surrender your, your will and the plans for your life and you embrace the way of suffering and rejection and sacrifice, Jesus says, in that you will find life. You have to understand, this is entirely counterintuitive to the way we think. The way to find life is to lose it. It doesn't make sense to us. This is not how the world thinks and is certainly not the, the logic that the world pushes to us. He says this word, Jesus says this word, save his life. If anyone, would, uh, if anyone would save his life, he will lose it. You know, if, if someone is living for themselves and they become entirely self-consumed, we, we wouldn't necessarily say that they are trying to save their life. We just don't, we don't use those words. Bro, you're trying to save your life. Stop trying to save your life. But essentially, I mean, I think that's what what someone like that is trying to do. But I think a helpful way to think about this is that you're trying to make something of your life. In your own efforts, in your own strength, you're attempting to make something of your life. We know that as good churchgoers, we can't save our lives. But many of us live in certain ways that we try to make something of our life. We try to do something. We have all these dreams and aspirations and we try to work hard. And we know that this is a way to get money and authority and power and respect. This is a way to impress people. And so we spend our lives trying to, trying to make something of our lives. I think one way that this plays out a lot in our society is, is through the idea of retirement. And actually, some of this has become very 
popular these days, early retirement. I, I, I get these articles all the time in my Apple news feed about, about retire early. How much do you need to have to retire at age 45? How much do you need to have to retire at age 50 or at age 55? What do I have to do now? How much do I have to save now in order to retire early? What is that? What's behind that? That we just retire and we essentially quit? We give up? And we say, I, I want to go to all the sandy beaches. I want to play on all the courses. Is that what our life gets to be about? Who is telling you to do that? Who is telling you to live like that? That's not Jesus. Consider your lives. Start making decisions now that will impact the rest of it. I'm not saying don't save for retirement. The Lord, if the Lord's blessing you, I think you ought to set aside some for retirement. So I'm not suggesting that. But to have this idea that we get to the end of our life and now we get to live for ourselves. Now I get to have a lot of fun. I'm an empty nester. I paid my dues. I raised my kids. I sent them off. I worked hard so they could go to college. And now I get to live for myself. That is not the way of Jesus. Jesus is telling us to hold our lives loosely before him. I think there's a, a form of Christianity that is very prevalent even in our churches today where we've essentially just kind of tacked Jesus onto the end of our Christianity. We've got our plans. We've got our goals. We know what we want to accomplish in life. And we stick to that. And we, but, and we just kind of tack Jesus on the end. And we kind of pick up and put down Jesus at our own convenience. Jesus is saying, if you want to find your life, you lose it for my sake. You lose it for the sake of his kingdom. You lose it for the sake of his gospel. Man, and people, haven't you been around people that you know they have lost their life? And you've been around them and you see the joy that they have, the peace that they have. And, and you say, I want what they have. I want that. And I'm here to say to you today that Jesus is extending an offer to all of us that you can have that. You can have that peace and that joy. The way to do it, deny yourself. The way to do it, take up your cross. Embrace the will of God for your life. I think, I think the problem is we don't really trust Jesus' words. I mean, we, we read these words and we, and we just don't trust them. We don't believe that what Jesus says is true. That if we lose our life for his sake, that that's the way to find our life. That if we try to save our life, that if we try to make something of our life, Jesus is saying, you will lose your life. We don't trust him. You can't be suggesting that I just give up, that I just try to lose my life. That's exactly what he's saying here. If you lose your life for Jesus' sake, you will find it. He's inviting all of us to lose our lives. And it's the way to find it. 
You know, between Matthew 16 and Acts 1, Peter is a changed man. He goes from being this guy that has all these dreams and aspirations about what the kingdom is going to be like, that the Messiah is going to bring in, this Christ Messiah figure who happens to be Jesus, and, and I'm very close to him, and I don't know what that means for me. Maybe I'm going to sit at his right hand or his left hand in his glory. And he's got all these dreams and aspirations about the kingdom. And then he comes to Acts 1. And we see that Peter is an absolutely changed man. The Spirit of God falls on him, and he has learned to deny himself and to take up his cross, and he's totally changed. And his life becomes about the kingdom. His life becomes about the gospel. And his life becomes about the advance of making Jesus known in the world. We can all be like Peter. I, 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 think, there's, I think it's accurate to say that there's some here who've, you, you, you've just kind of tacked Jesus onto the end. We're going to sing a song here in a minute. It says, it says that he is my life. And I asked, I asked earlier, the question that, I, that Jason asked last week, is Jesus your life? I mean, is he, is he central? Is he, is he in the center? Do you wake up and you say, Jesus used me today? Is that how you approach life? Or have you kind of tacked Jesus onto the end? You pick him up and you put him down at your own convenience. I think there's some here that that's, that's true of you. I'm saying now that you can, you can surrender that to the Lord. You can surrender that to Jesus. You can lay it down at his feet. You can say, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want the joy and the peace that Jesus brings. I want to find my life, Jesus. And just be honest, pour your heart out to him. He already knows the contents of your heart. Just, just pour it out to him. I think there's some here that probably at one point in time, Jesus was the center of your life. But maybe you've gotten away from him. Maybe you have something to surrender to him. You need to surrender something to him. You've been living in certain ways that you know are not God honoring. Surrender those things to Jesus. Take up your cross. Embrace God's will for your, for your life. Embrace the, the plan and the purposes of God. Make your life about Jesus and about his kingdom. And Jesus says that in that, you'll find life. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for how Jesus paid it all. I pray that the words that we sang earlier, all to him I owe, I, I pray that that would be true of our lives. That because Jesus has gone to the cross, because Jesus has walked the way of the cross, we too can follow Jesus in that. And we can walk the way of the cross. And we can be prepared for suffering and for rejection and sacrifice, knowing that we are walking by the Spirit and following Jesus. I pray that you would change lives in here today. I pray that you'd change each one of us, Father. I pray that we would just surrender afresh to you and to your will. I pray that we would deny ourselves. We would take up the humility that Jesus embodied. I pray that we would take up our cross. I pray we would embrace 
the will that God has for us. Embrace what scripture says. And God, I, we know through that that we will find life. God, may there be many today who find life. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.